Hi, and welcome to episode 15 of Chasing Squirrels Podcast. In this episode, you're going to get to meet Pam Agua. Pam and I first met five or six years ago when I was just starting an alternative education, and I needed a ton of support. So my first instinct was to reach out to my colleagues, and she was more than kind in her sharing of resources, sharing of philosophy, and letting me know you know, whether or not I was on track with the program that I was customizing for my school. So flash forward now a few years, and Pam is in a brand new portfolio. She is a First Nations Métis Inuit consultant. And I thought, there's a conversation there that I would like to have, not only about the portfolio that she's in, but around the challenges of moving into a consultancy. And in the conversation, she was more, more than honest in her sharing her personal story and where her personal story intersects with the professional expectations of a school board. Throughout our convo, I was blown away by not only her honesty, but how she challenged me to consider what is our truths as teachers and what truths do we need to accept about ourselves and about our pedagogies in order to truly, truly help the students and the system and the communities that are around us. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to Chasing Squirrels. I am truly thrilled that I get to sit and have a conversation today with Pam Agua. Pam, can you throw down a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do in education? So I currently hold the role of Curriculum Coordinator for First Nation Meeting and Inuit Education. And um, my role in the board is to work alongside our educators to integrate Indigenous knowledge in a really good way and to then further support our Indigenous youth who are registered in our board to move forward in um, learning and uncovering their cultural identity. Here's, here's where I'd like to start because you and I have a little bit of a backstory but I want to flip the backstory kind of down a few pages. So one of the things that piqued my interest, and we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, was me following... Okay, so my process, sort of approaching conversations, are kind of what's being posted positive and what the sort of existence in the electronic and digital sphere is. And the fantastic thing is that, and I complimented you about this previously is that there seems to be some harmony there. There seems to be the, what I post there is intentional and what I post there, um, has, has purpose. It, it sort of, it's, it's, it's an open share. Um, so what, where I come to in that is just, here's what I wonder. Um, I look at Twitter as, as a, as a modern learning tool. And you mentioned that you came to it kind of recently and, but what I want, if you could, can you, can you share the aha moment that we talked about just before we hit the record? Because you, like me, I came to Twitter in some ways like, this is kind of fun and interesting. I don't see a place for it yet. But you landed on it like smack dab. Can you just share that story again? The sort of like, holy moly, now I kind of get the power of this. So originally I had joined Twitter when I first came into this role, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I was in a new role that didn't have me in an office space very yeah. much. And I thought that if I kind of documented um, where I was and what I was doing, what I was up to, then people would know that I was working. Um, and so I was kind of using it as a tool to kind of be accountable to myself mm-hmm. and to my role. Um, about a year ago, Um, we were at a provincial leads gathering and many people were approaching me, tapping me on the shoulder, saying they needed to introduce themselves to me. And I didn't really understand what that was about. Um, There was one specific person who stood out in my mind and he approached me and said, I really want to have a conversation with you when you have a moment. And all I knew was his name was Jack. And I didn't know how to, uh, I didn't know how Jack knew me. I certainly didn't know Jack personally. But what I later found out was Jack was following me on Twitter. And when we had the conversation, he was talking about how he really 
appreciated what I was putting out and how uh, he was learning a lot from what I was tweeting and the work that we've been doing in our board and how we've been moving forward in a really good way. He just really wanted to meet me. And then he asked if he could take a selfie. So I thought <laughs> this was kind of a little strange. But at the same time, in that moment, I realized that it is an amazing learning tool and a way to connect educators um, on a global sense and how I wasn't just putting things out there and they were just out there. People were authentically reading them and then engaging in the conversations um, that things maybe I had either initiated or retweeted for thought. And then um, over the course of the year, my following has grown, and which is mind-blowing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other, other layer is now I host an online module for the PQP courses through Lakehead University for one of my friends. And we have conversations around supporting administrators, our future administrators to system in incorporating Indigenous knowledge. And we do, right now we're actually engaged this week on an online chat and just hearing the conversations coming out of a narrated PowerPoint that I had created um, and just the thinking that's happening around it. Like I just didn't realize the magnitude of people that it would reach and connect with um, through social media. So I'm kind of blown away by all that and still trying to process, but I think it's kind of neat. Yeah, well, and I'll say, and I benefit from it because through you and your connections and people that follow you and the discussions that are kind of popping off on your feed, um, I don't have a center in, in the knowledge that you're sharing. So whenever I can find, uh, find a resource that I feel has credibility and honesty and connectedness because that's I mean that's the accelerator of the digital world is that if you can if you can get to the places either that you didn't know even existed if you can sort of parallel other people's conversations and feel like I need to learn that too or if you're just curious like let's follow this person you get the rabbit hole effect um, I think that's exactly in some ways what kind of feeds uh, my Twitter addiction to a degree like getting to conversations I didn't even know existed mm-hmm. mentioning the the framework, though, of your, your consultancy, your consultancy, it strikes me that there's, there's a lot of different consultants, and I follow different consultants in different boards. It's sort of, um, again, the resource-based, conversation-based. There's a whole lot that I feel I can learn in my sort of pursuit of professional, personal professional development. But it strikes me that your consultancy is, is, is different at an elemental level. It strikes me that it's, it's from the... From the outside in, I have that sense, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering from the inside out, what, what does that term consultancy, like what bell does that ring for you from the inside out? Because I, I can't, I can't on the outside say that this is like following a math consultant. I don't know why, but could you say that from the inside out, why your consultancy, the position within the board is different than let's say, um, you know, let's say a math or an English consultant. I think for me, the first thing I noticed in my first year in the role was this was the first time my career and my uh, personal life have collided hard. And I think that for me, um, I was always pretty quiet in my identity, my cultural identity. So even in the teaching capacity, Mm -hmm. like only the students in, as we know each other from alternative education, only those students truly knew who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I had moved into this role, I knew that I was somewhat going to be true to who I was. And the part that's hard is it took me about a, a year to navigate that and understand and try to have people understand that this is my life on display. And I, um, and so when I'm doing the, the, the thing, like the Twitter thing or the learning thing for educators, and I'm trying to get people to understand who I am. I, they have to understand who I am first mm-hmm. as a person, not as a consultant. And I think that rings true to the learning that now our board is engaged in around First Nation, Métis, Inuit education. Mm-hmm. We talk about uncovering our personal truths first because my own learning has been before I could move forward in uh, uncovering what truth meant in the, tr- in the concept of truth and reconciliation. I had to really be true to who I was. And being true to who I was was putting myself out there in a vulnerable way and just um, 
a lot of leaders don't always lead with their heart, but in this role, I think you have to. If you're really going to move people forward in, in, in a good way, um, the leader of that has to know how to navigate their heart and soul into that leadership. That makes sense. Absolutely. And it was one of the things that, it was some, something in your Twitter feed, there was something in there that mentioned truth, and it, 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 it sparked, you know, as I said, my sort of, my curiosity, and I'll step in it just to sort of get the question out, but it was, it was around the truth and what truths you sort of discovered in the process, because it's one thing to say yes, it's, it's, so it's the, the, the template of uh, putting the resume together, the cover letter, the, um, the interview, the cast of characters that will be in front of you giving you the interview, the leaving the interview, maybe the essay you had to write in the interview, all the sort of the pieces that sort of um, are the, the requisite checkboxes that you're moving towards something. Mm-hmm. And then you get there. And you walk in the door the first day. And you sort of look at your space. And you look at your resources. And then for you, an extra layer, you look at your life. And you bring in, okay, it is now me in this role. And I wondered, and you said it so nicely, the truths that sort of just appeared right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the vulnerability piece, um, taking a risk on sharing self in the same time that you share system and share story is a, is a mind-blowing position. I mean, I, in my notes, I wrote the, the intersections mm-hmm. of all these things. And someone who's a math consultant, and I know uh, math consultants and I'm looking at the phone right now, apologizing to the phone that I'm recording on. I just, it's the, it, Pam's math too, so I'll just say that too. But it's the interesting thing that there's a, there's a space that you can exist in loving your subject and uh, loving students, but maybe not necessarily feeling compelled to step any further than that. I mean, you can, you can share self. So that's pretty fascinating to me. The question in it is, in doing so, and being, as you said, vulnerable, and being a leader that's representing that as well as curriculum, as well as uh, um, an issue frame and a conversation frame, how do you know you're connecting? Have you had touch points where you know that the things that you are sharing are landing in a space that the conversation is moving forward? Do you have any moments where you're just like, this is pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm making something here. Yeah. I think to be honest in the first year, I really had to navigate that. Yeah. So I don't think, um, I made much progress, but everyone has like a moment that happens in, in a space Yeah. that kind of, um, I think it's good to describe. I was pretty guarded in my first year. Okay. Something happened in a meeting. We were in a team meeting and something happened. And one of my good friends shared something and she was really vulnerable And then I was like, holy cow, I'm not the only person who feels this way Mm. in a professional role. And uh, and she holds a similar role um, in terms of definitely like there's some personal experience that is colliding with professional experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she shared that, I was like, I, I, I shared too. And then I realized in that moment, like this wicked awesome partnership was born. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, and I always knew the moment I met her that I could wholeheartedly trust her. But then I knew she totally got me too, to who I was and what I was struggling with. And I think that just propelled it all forward. I honestly think like that was, I'm a hockey fan, so for me that was like a TSN turning yeah, point yeah, in my yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, then what started happening was I think that the two of us, along with another third friend, um, really started feeding off each other in a good way. Mm-hmm. And so the moments where I, I know we're making a difference is um, I'll never forget the first time we kind of did something together in a, in a staff meeting. And when we were breaking off into a sharing point, I have a lot of respect for some people who work in this building. But one of my friends, Royan, when I was walking back to the table because I was at that table, mm-hmm. gave me two thumbs up and just said that was the best staff meeting ever. Um, that kind of charged me in a really good way. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we were moving the work forward. And what's happening now is people are pretty quiet about it, but they'll pop by my office or even there was a cool tweet after the equity symposium around um, the three women who are moving change 
and it was me and my two pals. <laughs> and I think that, um, like, that makes me proud. That yeah. that one tweet, even if there, you know, and there has never been anything negative, but that keeps me going. That kind of fills my bucket mm-hmm. to keep moving it forward. But we definitely have this group of support that is helping us move the work forward and we all do it together and it's not and what I love is um you know one time Nada said we have such a cool relationship in that we all honor our own narratives mm-hmm. and and that but we all support each other in moving forward and you need you just need those people around you when you're doing this this kind of work where you're personal and professional and you need people who get it to be around with you um that's critical and that, that, I think, takes care of that vulnerability that you're exposing because mm-hmm. you have those friends to to give you those hugs, whether they're virtual or physical, yeah, exactly. when you need them. Because it's pretty, it's heavy stuff. It's hard work. How do you see your efforts landing with students? Oh, it's amazing. So we have, so I do have the unique part where I can work alongside Joseph on our team mm-hmm. and work directly with our youth. Um, one of our youth was just elected mm-hmm. president of uh, her high school. Another one ran for student trustee. Um, she was unsuccessful, but she put herself out there. Um, our parents are so grateful and send us these beautiful notes and texts and emails of thanks uh, for support for their youth. And, um, and we just, you know what, I think what I noticed is that we're building such a collaborative community that extends well beyond the, the walls of the physical schools. And for us, because we're so urban, we have to bring our kids together because we'll have two, you know, two in one building, one in one building. But when we bring them together, it's like they've never been to par- apart. And so as a, as a team, we try to build like this community and our parents are engaged in that too. So we don't just work with, I don't know, it's so cool. You, you should just come and hang out with us one time so you can see it going on. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, getting coverage, right? <laughs> Negotiate that one yeah. for sure. Um, what about the wider student population, the conversations moving out into there? Because the support of students, First Nation, Métis, or uh, Inuit, um, the, the, the surrounding circumstances, the other students that are also so in need of um, the stories and the support and the sort of like the concepts, concept frames that, hey, you, don't have, you can think differently. Come on, come and think differently for a little while. What do, what do those moments look like? They're amazing. So we, we just wrapped up the Heritage Fair on the weekend. Yep. And on Saturday, I had just shown up to walk around for a bit. And there was um, a young man there. And I, I asked him, like, what's all this about? And he said, well, my question that I looked at was, you know, the intention of residential schools was to assimilate First Nations people into the dominant culture. And, but my extended question is, well, isn't that what they're still trying to do? Which blew me away. So this is a non-Indigenous youth who came up with this inquiry question and began to unpack it around the legislation that exists that continually, um, you know, tries to tries to do that process with Indigenous people. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And I had to give him a fist pump because I thought he yeah. was like the coolest kid ever. But he began to unpack what those pieces of legislation looked like, and he did this on his own. And then he was sharing his knowledge in the forum of a fair. Mm-hmm. And he had put some you know, some pretty risky things up, but he did, said he did that because then I knew someone would come and say, what's this about? And that it was really just to get them to engage in the conversation with him didn't read any of it from text it was all his own knowledge that he had developed wow. so that was one the other one that I think was super cool that we did all year this year was prompted by a second generation immigrant student who had sent me a proposal because she said when she moved to Canada she couldn't believe that Canada wasn't honoring uh, First Nations culture and how where she came from that was always they always had days that they were celebrating their culture and it was put out there in her community. And when she moved here, she's like, how can we not be celebrating the first people of this land? And so she had devised this inquiry that the kids, she set it up for a whole year. And then the two sets of art schools engaged in the inquiry for the entire year, working alongside indigenous artists. And then she was engaged, even though she was in her first year at Queens, like just making sure the project was on 
uh, task and things were connecting and she was immersed in the learning alongside the students from a from a, a, a geographical distance point mm-hmm. um, but the learning was so amazing and then I showed a 60-minute video like the week later because I just happened to have it in my purse and mm-hmm. teachers were on a lunch on a PD and there were three teachers in that space who said oh my gosh that I relate so much with that as soon as that student made those points I was like she's right and I have to make sure that I do this in a really good way, but we need to honor the culture just as we did when I lived in, in this space. And I thought that was pretty cool. So it's definitely extending beyond the indigenous population, which is what we want. That is really cool. Looking, looking backwards to this moment right now on the podcast, but no, let's say your portfolio placement right now and this this could go back to our backstory or your backstory. Were there any so sort of taking peeks at at those photos moving backwards? Was there any indication that you were moving towards this role? Were there any moments looking back now? You're like, yeah, that was kind of that was a thing. There's a there's a little touchstone there, and then yeah, then. You know, can you can you sort of see any of those signals previously that were sort of leading you, not to this phenomenal podcast, but like I said, to this 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 portfolio that you're in now. Which, you know, before we hit the record, you you had mentioned how important it is that you are in this role. Mm-hmm. Can you think? And you're more than welcome to speak to that as well. But thinking back, what were the formative little touchstones that were leading you to this place? That's a great question. Um, I think that I developed a level of comfort in all dead, quite frankly. Um, and what I've become to notice is my friends who are now in lead roles in their board, they're either in all dead or spec ed. I'd like to hear that. Anybody who is not, uh, like all my indigenous friends, those are the roles that they held before they came into this role. Hmm. And so, um, I think these roles were always coming up in the job postings and the teachers in the building who knew my Mm -hmm. background would bring them to me and I wasn't ready. Um, and sometimes I think, um, there's many reasons why, but I think sometimes we, for me, I'm very intentional and a little strategic in terms of who am I working alongside? And when I was in alt ed, um, I think I became comfortable because I had amazing support Mm -hmm in running the programs the way that I knew that they had to run. Yep. In my last two years there, I felt like I wasn't growing anymore as an mm-hmm. educator. Um, and so I began on my own accord to integrate into Indigenous uh, writers. Um, and then the media it was starting to lift because the inquiry was wrapping up um, mm-hmm. around yes. um, for the Truth and Reconciliation yes. Commission. And I was following that pretty closely. Um, and so I think for me, what was going on was the kids who were in Altand, by the time I had got to the end of the two years, I'd realized 85% of them self-identified with Indigenous ancestry. Wow. And that had come out because we were having those conversations in our class and, uh, especially in our English class. Yeah. And then when I was putting myself out there, those kids started to put themselves out there. And then it just really strengthened our bond in learning in those spaces. And um, so that was happening and brewing. And I remember at one time, um, one of the consultants in the role at the time had phoned me and said, "Um, you have as many self-identified youth in your building as this building, which I'd always thought had tons. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. And then I realized, you know, I was building community and I was empowering the Indigenous youth in my building. Um, I think the turning point for me was my kids were getting older and I wasn't seeing a lot of change and shift outside of my little portable in my comfort zone. And sometimes I think that if you, if you don't see the change, you have to be the change. Mm -hmm. And when, um, I would, I, put a lot more effort and commitment into supporting the team that was in place at the time. And I had run a project through the school that I was at um, in the mainstream. And it helped me build relationships with the team members. Mm -hmm. And then just um, through learning, and and it was kind of funny because they kept saying, if you were our leader, 
Like, we could really move this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was laughing because I'm like, it actually doesn't work like that. <laughs> but what do you know? Um, I think that Creator puts things in our path for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, um, one of the members was promoted to vice principal, which had a vacancy. And I felt like it was time. And then I remember, um, and the other one went on a secondment. And then they created the role of coordinator, so I applied, and then and then I was here, and then I was like, whoa, now now what do I do? <laughs> I know, I yeah yeah here you go. But I think looking back, it was like a whole combination of things. It was seeing the impact of letting kids see who I truly was, and then watching them all self-identify and be comfortable with who they were. Mm-hmm. Like it shifted those you know fifteen kids in our alt ed program. I could, I was blown away at how comfortable they were with sharing that, but that also, I always felt like I understood them, but when they uncovered that, like, I really understood them, mm-hmm. because I could relate, and I had that, um, I had some, I had some of those shared experiences, yeah. and then it really, it really opened um, my ability to help and support and understand, mm-hmm. um, and then looking at my own kids, I just knew I wanted them to be proud, and not to be, like, a 40-year-old woman finally being okay with everybody really knowing who she was. So I think all of those things combined kind of put me on a path to be in this role. And, and you know, I'd like to believe that I'm moving things in a really good way. Um, I feel like with the parent feedback alone, I am. Because parents feel fine having conversations, like really raw and honest conversations with me about the direction of that we should go in. And I really hear it, and I, and I act on it in a good way. Um, and I think that that's just propelling the work forward. Um, the, you know, I started this by saying that the consultancy is not like a math consultancy. I don't know what the data points or the numbers that would give you the sort of like this, the standard feedback that your moves are moving in the right direction. So what is it that you use? What is it that you use to sort of great instinct, awesome story, incredible personality, um, but from the outside in, what is it that you're using to sort of sort of navigate these waters? What is it you're using to sort of say, I'm, I am on the right track? I know that I am. Um, it, I think it's rooted in spirituality, okay. to be honest. I think that, um, like, I, I'll share one, one thing that happens. So the job gets tough, and mm-hmm. there's times I have, like, really negative thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe it's time for me to go back to the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's really taxing on my spirit, and I just don't know if I can continue... Um, just feeling down Mm because sometimes you get really down because it's heavy lifting. Yep. Um, And I remember there were two weeks in a row where, you know, in the morning I typically, before I begin my day, will lay my tobacco. And um, and in that, I'm always thankful for something. But I had negative thoughts where I was like, I think I just want to resign. I think I'm I'm out. But I wouldn't say those things, but I would be thinking them. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, this year, for a second year, we brought together language teachers in the area to Georgian College. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't know everybody. I only know, like, Michelle and I work together to uh, bring everyone together. And I had gone into the first workshop, and we were sitting there, and it was pretty quiet. There were about four of us. And everyone knew each other, but nobody knew who I was because I'm not from this community. Mm-hmm. And so this beautiful woman, Vicky, says to me, um, I don't know you. You're beautiful and a Shambay Quay. And I said, well, thank you. I said, well, I'm Pam. And then I'm not the best with compliments. So when she said that I was beautiful, <laughs> I said that I took a shower. <laughs> and I said, today I showered and I blow dried my hair. And so everyone kind of laughed. And so anyways, the, the workshop went on. And all of a sudden, and her mom was leading the teaching. All of a sudden, Vicky said, Mom, I just need to step in because I think I need to go over here. And on the, on the board was um, basically the four directions, the four seasons, and she had a teaching around water mm-hmm. connected to that. And as she moved through the directions, she got to talking about spring, and then she just looked at me. 
And she said to me, I don't know why, but I need to tell you um, that you're on a good path and you're on the right path. And you, I just, I just in, in the core of who I am need to share that with you right now. Um, and so of course I start crying because mm-hmm. that morning I was like, I'm going to quit. Like I'm just, I gotta walk away. And, um, that happens more often than, than I'm sharing right now. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, the things that keep me going is that, that spiritual response, mm-hmm. that guiding voice, um, that strategic, like, I don't think those emails come in my inbox on a day that's arbitrary. Mm-hmm. There's when it pops in, like it's not random for me. I probably have thought I want to tag out, <laughs> and and then it just lands in my inbox and it keeps me going. Mm-hmm. And I think that because I'm so in tune with that, it just kind of um, it kind of guides me in a really good way. And I'm really conscious of that happening. Like, how did that woman know that I needed to hear that that day? Mm-hmm. other than I was thinking it and I never said it out loud and she had never met me before. And so afterwards we had lunch together and uh, and then she she broke it down for me, like even deeper. And we need to really, and that's the whole Anishinaabe part of me. And I'm thankful for that. Because if I didn't have those people coming into my life with that purpose, I don't know if I could keep doing the work. So, like that conversation that day, I needed it, big time. The, um, was at a workshop recently, and I find that so many workshops right now have some digital element to it. It can, it can be conceptual too, you know, some of the things that are considered modern learning. And we did a little bit of a a little bit of a um, kind of a back to the future activity. And we were writing, the instructions were something in the effect of write the headline 20 years from now. So the thing that just is kind of earth shattering about education. And a lot of my colleagues, and, and, and admittedly, my brain kind of went to, you know, something that's kind of technical or something that's um, hyper personalized or alternative education. I mean, our common backstory, right? Mm-hmm. But I had a pause there and I and I I I turned to one of my colleagues and I and I asked him about he teaches in the Catholic board. And I asked him before I got to my headline, I asked, you know, have you experienced a speaker within the Catholic board? And he teaches elementary. Have you experienced a speaker that can equally convey the depth of Catholicism in the same breath as curriculum? And he, he, he's, he's a great guy. He's like one of my, one of my best sort of critical sort of colleagues. He's a, he's a really great guy too, deep thinker. And he had said that it's, it's a very short list. It's a very short list of individuals that um, in my frame I was thinking about, I think I started with Catholicism, but I think I landed closer to spirituality and someone that can represent a, a, a spiritual center, a balanced center at the same time that they represent curriculum. And something in my brain pushed towards that being maybe one of the most modern learning elements that we can start to explore is how do we include, we speak of wellness, but how do we also include spirituality within the public system? And I think we're moving, there's interesting signals happening now that should be informing those moves. And I think this experience, I think, I think you in this role represent a, a piece of that conversation. I think your weekend experience away from board represents a piece of that. And I always wonder at what point will we be comfortable with that entirely within our board? Because I would say it's not only not only the indigenous population that would benefit from us finding a way to exist in that space, mm-hmm. but every culture that feels like they're just kind of pushed out of the light a little bit. Thank you for sharing that. That's a that's a I you've made me forget what the question was that lead us to that, but that's <laughs> a how do you know you're on the track? How do you know you're moving in the right direction? And that's like one story but you'd be blown away 
if I told you how many things have happened over the course of this year that have uh, been indicators for me to, to just know that I need to keep going. It's mind-blowing, but it's awesome. <laughs> there was the, um, there's a quote here about um, being an ally. And it's something that came from your Twitter feed. Um, I spoke to what connected me to it. Um, recent workshop that I was at where um, on anti-black racism and the concept of the non-oppressed becoming an ally to the oppressed. And I wondered when that was presented to me if someone that was kept from center, if they would trust me in my pursuit of becoming an ally, and even if they may recommend me against using the tools that are being provided. Basically, my responsibility to do better, and I need to seek wider and more depth. Can you... Why did that quote pop out to you? Because I felt like it was written for me and my experience last week. I was like, I get it. I didn't think I could sort of, I don't think, I didn't think I had another question mm -hmm. beyond what I was confronted with, my own thinking at this, this equity uh, workshop that I was at. Half day, half day equity workshop. Um, what made you do the quote? And I can, I can read the quote, but the quote, you know, comes down to you get to be an ally as long as, the person you're aligning with says, yes, you are. Mm -hmm. What struck you about that, that quote? I think for me, um, we have often have this conversation in our, um, I have a couple of cliques, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were talking about how when I think it's really rooted back like to truth and reconciliation and mm -hmm. everyone, it keeps talking about like what they're doing to reconcile, but they're not understanding like truth comes before reconciliation so Order it's almost like you got it and yeah. I think with truth it's broken down into two pieces I think that you're exploring truth of self first and I think um so for me I had to figure out who I was to the core again mm. before I could even start to talk to educators and the board around unpacking truth and then what does the truth look like in the context of um indigenous people and then we can start to think about once we've done all that heavy lifting around ourselves we can then start to think about the truth of Indigenous people and mm -hmm. then move towards reconciliation. And I think allyship is similar. And the reason why I would, I would say that, and, and one can argue it isn't, is that people are so quick to self-identify as allies, but don't, aren't, um, haven't done the work in the relationship that's required for them to be a true ally. I think that if you're working alongside community, so if you can speak it in, into, in context of Indigenous people, mm -hmm, absolutely. I think it's the easiest way for me to connect it. Um, well, I would say just because it's, it, is, it is the process that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I, 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 get, I, get, I get, of course, our context right now, and, and, yeah. and, and, and who you're speaking with and for right now. I get that. Yeah. But I think the process is what needs to be revealed. So, yeah, throw it down. Yeah, so I think with Indigenous people, like, you can't, um, you know, I put a quote actually out just before I put that one, and I think they're kind of linked, where um, we were engaged in a discussion around appropriation. How ironic. Mm -hmm. um, but it was on Tuesday. And Troy and I were leading the discussion. Troy's another lead in, in the province. And... You know, I had said, you know, if you're really concerned about appropriation, the best way to avoid it is to work alongside community. Mm -hmm. And so Troy had tweeted out, like, wise words from Agawapi, and then quoted me. And I'd never been quoted, like, on Twitter before, so that whole experience was cool. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was, then this quote came out, and I'm like, well, that's it right there. Because if we are talking about relationships with community and understanding people to the core... You can't go and self-declare that you're an ally because that is almost a gift that's given to you. So it's almost like if you work alongside Indigenous community, you build your depth of understanding of Indigenous people, and then you create your action in response, your reconciliation action in response to the truth, then you are gifted that title of ally. Mm -hmm. And when we just take it and name it for ourselves, 
then I think you are just perpetuating perhaps your own privilege. Um, you are doing it without building that relationship with Indigenous communities and people. And then I wonder, are you a true ally? Because you haven't done all the work to mm -hmm. understand that population. And so for me, that's where that, I was like, that's true. Because I've said it before, and I just haven't heard it written that way. And I thought it connected even to our earlier conversation in the week around appropriation with a group of educators, everything from um, administrators to superintendents to classroom teachers. And, you know, and those discussions get hot pretty quick because mm -hmm. everyone wants to show that they're helping. Um, but I just remind people it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. And, and, and we were walking the path because we want to make sure we do it right. We can't do that right without community attached. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like being called an ally by the Indigenous community would be a gift. And that would be an acknowledgement of all the work that you've done to partner and, and build that allyship alongside. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So I just, I have to throw it. So the quote is, you, you don't get to decide if you are my ally. That's my call. It's a powerful provocation. Which I think speaks to how I think I framed it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and one of my really good friends said to me, you know, the first step to allyship is to maybe be a follower. You know, lead with your humility and take a step back and allow the indigenous population to help lead that. Make space. And you follow. Make yeah, space. make space. Yeah. Huh. The, um, in sort of reading some of your posts, this guy over here, it's sort of, Sorry, listeners, I'm actually pointing to a post-it note right now on my... <laughs> but Clint Smith, and uh, he's got a great spoken word piece where he speaks of his own silence. And if you, if you haven't... I, I mean, I just grabbed some of the little the bits from it, but it's a... Um, I think it speaks a little bit to what we're sort of touching on here about the reading critically, you write consciously, speak clearly, and tell your truth. I think... Um, I think the first part very much is the, is the, anyone can be that. Do your research, like get, get as much information as possible. Make sure you're getting the right information. Make sure you have the right mentorship. Make sure you have the right people leading you to that story. Um, he was speaking about being a teacher in front of a classroom and not making space and being buried under assumption and maybe sometimes putting his self before others, but in sort of looking at, in discovering bits of your story, it just it rang true to me, especially the last part there, the tell your truth, because I think in order to arrive in that space, there's a whole hell of a lot of work you got to do. And I would say almost maybe like background work before you dare to sort of be a voice. Well, there's things that... For 42 years, I've buried. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to really do that work, it could be triggered yeah. through something or some experience. or um, And then you need to know, because you're in a professional role. Of course. And this of is course. your career. It is, yeah. How do you step back and give yourself the space to unpack that and heal that wound that you thought you had dealt with? And that's the one uh, challenge, I think, when your personal life is on display alongside your professional life. Mm -hmm. And you can't, like uh, you, if you and I were engaged in some learning, you can't anticipate what will trigger me, mm -mm. but I have to be able to suppress that until we've finished our learning for the day, and then I have to think about how do I go home to my family and suppress it a little longer, and then I have to create the space and the time to then feed my spirit and unpack that, because that's the piece that nobody fully understands. And um, it's, it's hard. Like, there was a quote yesterday around, um, you know, one of one people at one person I respect, she's an artist, she's amazing. And she said, for those of you who are really working hard at um, uncovering the racism that's connected to Indigenous people, kudos to you, because that has to be exhausting work. 
And then I just think about the conversations that we're firing around this weekend around appropriation. Mm -hmm. And really, I think a lot of that is rooted in that. And we don't say that because First Nation people aren't always identified as a race. We are a nation. But the truth is we are experiencing racism. We call it discrimination. It's almost too soft. Um, But it's racism. And so then how do we build awareness to unpack that? And I think that... It's through the work, it's through the heavy lifting, it's through the knowledge that we're trying to build around allyship and truth. But I think that I have to be able to open that part of me up for people to truly get how to move forward and address that. Because they don't see it like that. Like I said, it'll blow you away how many people don't see it like that. I had mentioned before Andy McClure, who is someone that I spoke to before, and he... He brought to me um, an entry-level understanding of what it means to be an elder. And I don't, I have no claim that I can sort of wrap my head around the full scope of that. But one of the things that stuck with me after talking to him is the idea that possibly part of, part of the, the, the role of being an elder is, is allowing others to see your story. Allowing others to discover themselves in the story it's not you take it's not here's my story and it's going to teach you so it's not the the imposition of the story it's the discovery of the story mm-hmm. and it's an interesting place to be in when you're a teacher the sort of the 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 imposition of teaching um versus not versus the imposition of the teaching or in this case the creating of a context where the learning can kind of naturally happen and in talking about this, you strike me as someone that has the skills to create the context that people can discover, your students to discover. I believe that that um, to sort of to be a teacher in general, it's a, it's a great skill to have. I think in particular, it works really well in alternative education and small classroom spaces. But it makes me curious about whose stories do you look to. To sort of find self, who is it that? Who is it that would have the honor of being your mentor? Who do you put in that space? Um, you make me cry. <laughs> That's a hard question. I'm in your office, and I would go looking for... Oh, here they are. Here. <laughs> here. I found some tissues in your office. <laughs> it's a hard question because um, there's two minds of it for me. Okay. Right? So, first, I'm so lucky and mm-hmm. blessed that I have the family still connected, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, who live in a good way um, and who guide me on my path. And I can connect with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of our youth are missing that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I get a little emotional. <laughs> found, found you can Thank you. toss those in the garbage um, too. And so for me, like, I'm really lucky. Like, I have my, my father, I have my aunties, I have my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgina's huge in that in terms of always being available. Um, I have Isidore, I have, like, just... You know, my, and with my aunts, like, they're amazing. Like, mm-hmm. they're just true leaders. Um, you know, my, it's just, you can't articulate one. It's a community for me, right? And I'm lucky that my family is at the core of that, and they're so supportive of uh, knowing what I need when I need it. Um, there's just, there's not one person. It's a community, and I think that that's, just how we roll in terms of um, mentoring. I definitely only have space for those people right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I don't know how to say it. It's like, um, you know, and in moving here it was hard because I don't have my family that close. But, you know, Georgina is just a three-hour drive towards Kingston. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then my aunt's a phone call away, and my father's a phone call away, and he's come a couple times, and we've done some things together here. 
Um, and I brought him into uh, the community of Georgian Island because I think it's important for when working with community they understand where you came from yes. and who you are um, to the core. So I think for that piece of it, it's that's who I look to. Um, I just, and then people are just put on my path who are meant to be there and they're there to teach me things and all the good, the bad, and the ugly too, right? And, uh, and knowing that everyone who's been put on that path has been put there for a purpose. And when I don't deal with things, which I'm good at avoiding sometimes, um, that person keeps getting put on my path. Mm-hmm. And I can't avoid it. Um, and I love that I can, you know, talk with Blue on an ongoing basis around those, and she's re- quick to remind me. Mm-hmm. Um, but those relationships are always evolving, and that community grows um, and again, I think that Creator helps put those people on my path um, to help me and them grow. Like, it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. And I think, I think it's tough because I always am thinking about the kids who don't have access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we create those spaces? And, and I'm trying to think of, you know, York Region. It's the first time I lived in an area where... Um, there are no friendship centers. There's no friendship centers in York Region. So where are these youth gathering? Mm-hmm. Um, I had one of those when I was a kid, in addition to my family. Um, you could always go there and paint with Zoe Wood Solomon or bead with Pauline or have a chat with Carolyn Harrington. Like, I, these women were strong women I grew up with Yes. my whole life. I had my grandma. Um, for the first 10 years of my life, who, man, you want to meet an awesome Anishinaabe Kwe, you hang out with Violet. Um, and, and she's rooted in all of us in terms of the way that we live and, and carry ourselves. But I think, um, I don't know, I think I'm just so, I think everyone's around me because they're supposed to be, and they support and mentor me on an ongoing basis. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. It's not just one person. I guess a community. I'm, I'm going to take it as it's hard because I can see it. It brings up some, <laughs> some pretty strong emotions for yeah. sure. Um, but I think you, I think you, I think you touched on, you know, the power of history mm-hmm. and the power of, um, the power of importance of being connected before you need to be connected. And that's what I'm getting from your saying that these individuals are, they're, they're parts of past and present at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as saying, yeah, I really read this great book or I watched this great TED Talk. And I think that this also, it just, it has to bring us back to this idea of connection and spirit. And do we, are we comfortable talking about that in our public education spaces? And getting comfortable there has to be or has to come from some of the bravery that you're talking about here. It, it, it has to be. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason other than to say it should exist in this space. It will exist in this space and don't look away. Like it's just, this is where we need to be for a, mo- for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk, I, I wanted to sort of like, believe it or not, kind of end with, I didn't even get to half my sort of like sketch noty stuff in bits and pieces I feel like um I, I told you the you know the approach to the only downside to approaching someone to talk on the podcast and then having time between which I just accept as part of process mm-hmm. is that I, I tend to fall deeper into interest so <laughs> it was a very short list of things that I wanted to talk about you know the first email and then there's a second page now of stuff but um I think but do you think you could you could speak to the um, at least to the eagle feather? We talked a little bit on the front end, the well, or any any one of the layers of that. Because I kind of my drawing here, I have, mm-hmm. I have the, the top layer of that, and I don't know if that's if that's something we could speak to, or if rate we leave it for another time, or. I think that, um, like, I can speak a, a bit to um, the Eagle Feather, and I think that that aligns with the whole discussion around mentors and okay. and building community. And I think that um, the one thing about the personal professional thing is that 
you need people around you who know the personal side of you. Mm -hmm. So the person I was gifted the eagle feather from knows my whole life, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So when I I was gifted that um, through a ceremony... I originally thought it was gifted to me because I was doing really good work and that, um, you know, it's, it's called a guiding eagle feather. Okay. Um, I can show it to you after. Yeah, absolutely. That's where podcasts yeah, are a little, no little tricky. Um, but when you look at it and, and, you know, and it speaks to the leadership and the role that mm-hmm. I carry, um, what I've learned from that eagle feather in the last year is that it really was teaching me more than I thought. Hmm. And that I wasn't about who I was in the role and capacity of curriculum coordinator. It was who I was as a mom, Hmm. who I was as a person, and who I was as a partner. Because, um, like I had said before and I alluded to, as I move through the work Mm -hmm. in my role, things are triggered, and those are personal triggers. And I think that that was just to help me and guide me into stay focused on just keep growing as a person um, and know that you're always supported mm-hmm. and that um, and that you're just you're acknowledged for all of those pieces. It wasn't just about the role. It was about the growth in the person um, and then the role is just something that I hold. But, you know, like I won't be in this forever, mm-hmm. but at the root I will always be Pam. Yeah. And so when I carry that feather, I'm not carrying it as a curriculum coordinator. I'm going to be carrying that as Pam. And so how do I define Pam and um, as an Anishinaabe Kwe? And then how that then will continue to move me forward in growing in my understanding of that and, and my value system as an Anishinaabe Kwe. And I think that that, for me in the last year, that's been when I talk about like being honored with gifts. Yes. Sometimes when they come a little too quick, it takes me, it takes you time to grow in relationship with that and understand what that means. And so that's why uh, for now, like I finally am understanding the role of that gift. And I love sharing the story of how I received it. And as I keep on unfolding its narrative that it's carrying with me, um, I do love sharing that with kids because it shows them that you're never too old to keep growing. Right. And I think that that's such an, and how your narrative never stops at the age of 13, 20, whatever. And that there's always, um, you're just always growing. And it's just how are you going to create those opportunities and spaces to let that growing happen? I think it also it it for me it also speaks to those authentic reflective moments that um, it it could be the gift but it could be the moment it could be the mentor the the thing that just slows you long enough to exist in your own thought space and see you know there's something else here the opportunity to see that there's another layer to what could seem like a very simple gesture and in those spaces I mean it's a it's a big part of what educators were encouraged to do is what is your reflective practice and I think sometimes that can be and rightfully so sometimes just looked at as extra writing to do extra thing I don't have time for that and I think the elegance the elegance of these gifts that you have received is that they actually they're harmonized in such a way that when you spend time with them the reflection happens you, you you're compelled you're, you're drawn there you're held there because there's so much more than just the curriculum. And I think where we started with this was around the consultancy being something really quite different than other consultancies. I think you've repped that well. <laughs> you've definitely repped that well. Thank you. So um, someone wants to find you and have more conversations and kind of ask you what what did you mean by that? And what was that thing that you said quickly? And um, how you doing? Or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever someone wants to... Where do you want to be found? I think Twitter is the best spot. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Throw down your Twitter handle, just in case for the, for the auditory learners. It's tough. So it's Agawa, P-A-G-A-W-A-P. Perfect. I'll put it in the notes, too. Okay. And also, if there's... Um, if you do want, if you want the, an image of the feather, I can include that as well. 
Absolutely. Anything else you want to get on tape before we go? No, thank you, though. This was fun. This was really great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really am honored that you would give me, give me your time and uh, fully appreciate the, the stories that you shared with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on iTunes and Podbean. If you want to reach out to me and have a conversation, I can be found on Twitter at Chris J. Clough. I also have a blog on Blogspot of the same name, Chris J. Clough. And some of my postings can be found on Medium, which I think I have under the exact same name. I really appreciate the time that you spent with the podcast this evening. If you ever want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk with you. And I am truly, truly grateful for you sharing your time with me. Take care.